So if you can open up Luke 6, we're going to read from verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, who, um, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with, the, with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, um, and the people all tried to touch him because the power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them the other. Um, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what does not belong, what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others what you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, that is credit is that credit to you. Um, even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Um, and if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is, um, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For those with measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your, own, your eye, 
and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A man, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me, Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck the house, um, the flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Thanks, Sarah. It was great to hear about your story of joining church and uh, joining a newish group. Uh, it was also great to see some of those photos of the stuff that we've been up to this week. Uh, I had a great time at the trivia night. It was lots of fun. Hope you did if you were there too. Uh, in the 31 years I've been alive, the world has changed dramatically. Now, you guys, you guys won't get it, right? You won't get it because so much of what you know and live and what you've grown up with, you'll just take for granted. So, computers, the smartphone, broadband internet, Apple Watches, right? All of these things that you have and have grown up with, you take them for granted now. But for me growing up, that was a novelty. I didn't grow up having those things around. So we did these really weird things when we were kids. We would go outside in the sun and play, right? Or we would, we would go and we'd talk to our friend face to face. And I know that seems strange for you. I know you probably don't really believe me. But our world is really different now from the way it was then when I was a kid. In my house, my house back in Dubbo, the greatest city in the world, there was one computer. We shared one computer in our spare room and it was connected to the wall with this little plug, right? And it was dial-up. So if you wanted to get onto the internet so you could use something like Facebook Messenger or, well, we didn't, we didn't have Messenger. We had MSN Messenger. Oh, more than I expected. That's good to know. You know what I'm talking about. MSN Messenger. If you wanted to get on that and talk to your friends after school, talk to that girl you liked or something like that, you'd have to go onto your computer, you know, collect, connect, kick, click, connect to the internet, and you'd hear this noise like, for like a good five minutes, and then you'd be on the internet, which was actually a waste of time anyway, really, to go on the internet, because even just to load one single page, even just to load the Google homepage would take you like 15 minutes. It was painful. It was not really worth it. You guys don't know how good you have it now compared to the way things were back then. Nobody ever had mobile phones when I was growing up. Well, not until like year 11 or 12 did people in school start to get mobile phones, let alone smartphones. I remember the first phone that someone ever brought to school was a Nokia 3310, which now is like a classic and worth heaps of money. You could send a message you could make a phone call and you could play Snake. That was it. 
And this, this, we thought this was revolutionary when this kid brought this phone to school because no one had phones. We, in my house, used this thing called a landline, which to use required you to also have this other thing called a phone book. So there was no texting in my day. You couldn't just call someone whenever you wanted. If you wanted to talk to someone on the phone, you had to get your phone book out, look up their parents' names in the phone book, then pull out your landline, punch it in. By the way, you couldn't be connected to the internet at the same time. You could only do one or the other. Punch their number in, call them, and if they weren't home, too bad. Too bad. You couldn't message them. You couldn't get in contact with them. You have to wait and try again later. Hope they'd be back home by then. Nowadays, you guys just don't know how good you've got it. Even nowadays, people are starting to talk about this thing called the smart home. Have you guys heard about the smart home? No? Yeah? A couple? All right. It's, it's coming. It's coming. It's the new Apple, right? That's my prediction. It's this idea, right, where you can make everything in your house connected. So your TV on, on your wall, your, your lights, your blinds and your speakers, you can connect them all up so that all you need to do is speak and your smart home will do what you command it. It'll lift up your blinds or turn off your lights or play Netflix on your TV or play music through the speakers. And at first I was a little bit sceptical, but I'm going to be honest with you, I've actually started to get into it. I know you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but... I'm starting to like it. I've even got a couple of smart home devices myself. Not many because it's, it is actually pretty expensive. But look, I know what you're thinking too. I know you realize that you're thinking that Google will now know everything about me, right? China will be watching and there'll be nothing I can hide from them. But to be fair, it's actually really just nice to know that someone out there cares about me. It's, there's someone out there in the world who's interested in me and what I'm doing. That's lovely. The best thing we have in our smartphone, though, in our smartphone, in our smart home, though, has to be this thing. It's a doorbell. But it's not just a doorbell. It's got a speaker and it's got a camera as well. So you can see and talk to anyone who comes to your house at any time, just as long as you have your phone with you. And it uses facial recognition technology. So it can tell who you are just by your features, just by your face, right? So here's me. Yep, I look like a doorbell. It's beautiful. There's me. Yeah, beautiful. And this is me, right? And the doorbell knows it's me because it can recognize my features. It knows my pasty white skin. It sees my big nose and red hair and goes, that's DJ, that's Dave, he lives here. Here's, here's Nala. Oh, isn't she beautiful? Isn't she beautiful? Look, my, my doorbell knows Nala, right, because she's golden and a dog, not a human, so that's a pretty good giveaway, but she can tell just by her features. It's pretty cool technology that I can know who is at my door just by their features, by their characteristics. This doorbell can tell if you are a stranger or a friend. But what it can't do yet, what technology can't do yet, is tell someone if you're a Christian or not, can it? It's not advanced enough to work out if you are a follower of Jesus, right? It can't tell just by looking at your face whether you truly trust and believe in Jesus. 
But tonight, what I want to show you is that there is a way we can. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, we've been working our way through Luke's gospel, one of the historical accounts of Jesus' life. And in Luke chapter 6, Jesus shows us how you can tell who a true disciple is. What are their features? What are their characteristics? One who says they follow after Jesus, how can you tell if you are truly one of them? In Luke chapter 6, there is a massive crowd of people gathered around Jesus because we've been seeing him do all these amazing things, right? He's been healing and doing miracles and, and saying these really controversial things and crowds are flocking to him to hear him and to be healed and to learn from him. But in Luke chapter 6, in the midst of this massive crowd who has gathered to hear Jesus, Jesus stops and turns and looks directly at his disciples, which is really just a word for follow-up. A disciple was a student who followed around a teacher and sought to learn and, fo- and learn from their ways and wanted to become like that. And Jesus, in the midst of this crowd, stops and talks and looks to his disciples. And he shows them what a true disciple of his is meant to look like. What a Christian, a follower of Jesus, what features and qualities will they have through which you can identify them? Now, that's an incredibly helpful passage for us, isn't it? Because many of you sitting here tonight, well, you claim to follow Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're just checking out Jesus. You're not sure what you think about him. Well, this will be helpful for you too because you'll see what it's like to truly follow him. But for you who claim to follow Jesus, Luke chapter 6 is an incredibly helpful passage because it puts us under the microscope. In it, Jesus shows us what a true disciple of his will look like. What features will they have? How is it that you can identify someone who follows after him? And the first thing, which you can see on your outlines there, that Jesus said should characterize a true and genuine follower of his is their eyes. In Luke chapter 6, verse 20 and following, Jesus says that a true follower of his will have eyes that are focused on the future. Not the here and now, not the present, but what is to come in the future, in the then. Just have a look there in chapter 6, verse 20 at your Bibles. This is how Jesus starts talking to his disciples. Verse 20, looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Now, there is a lot going on in these verses. 
But essentially what Jesus does is he says there are two types of people in this world. There's those whose life we should look at and envy. The blessed, right? Those who have got it made. And those to whom he looks at and announces woe. In other words, there is no way in the world you would ever want to be like them. But the weird thing is that Jesus seems to have this backwards, doesn't he? Because he says it's the poor and the hungry and the weeping, right? And, and those who are insulted, they're the ones you should envy. They're the ones you should consider blessed. But the rich and the well-fed and the laughing and the admired, well, you'd never want to be like them in a million years, Jesus says. Now, that's the complete opposite of how our world thinks about people, isn't it? Jesus takes our society's way of thinking about people and completely flips it on his head. But, but it's worth looking a little bit more carefully at who Jesus actually means when he talks about the poor and hungry and insulted here, doesn't, isn't it? Because it would be easy to get the wrong idea. It would be easy to think this is just a big social justice cry of Jesus, right? But it's not all the poor and all the hungry and rejected that Jesus called blessed. Because remember, who is it that Jesus is speaking to at this point? He's speaking to his disciples. It's the poor, the hungry, the weeping and unpopular who are that way because they follow after Jesus. Because they're his disciples. Because they've given up everything in this world to follow after him. It's people like Simon, who we saw last week in Luke chapter 5, right? Who left his boats and left his fish and gave up everything and chased after Jesus. It's people like Levi, the tax collector, who was sitting on his booth. Jesus said, follow me, and he got up and left it all behind to follow after him. Jesus says, they're the people you should truly envy in this world. They're the blessed ones. Because they've given up everything to become one of my disciples and pursue my kingdom. Which means their life will be hard now, but their reward in heaven will be great. The kingdom, the kingdom is what waits for people like them. See, Jesus is saying that in this life, we all have a choice between our life here and now on this earth and our life in the future, in the kingdom. Our life here and now, and our life after death in eternity with Him. Every person in this room will have to make a decision about what life matters to them. This one, here and now, or that one, in the future, then. And following Jesus will be costly here and now. I don't want to sugarcoat that from you, right? It's not easy to be a Christian in this world. You're going to have different priorities for your time and your money. You'll have a different way of life than your classmates and your friends. You'll believe different things about right and wrong and what really matters and people will not like that. And people will ridicule you for that because you don't go and get drunk or sleep around and do drunk drugs because you're not on Tinder and you go to church on Sunday and you study the Bible and you want to live for Jesus. 
people will ridicule you for that. More than that, as a Christian, because you're convinced that salvation comes through Jesus alone, that there's no other name in heaven through which we can be saved but His, as you speak to people about Jesus, well, some people are going to be offended by that too. People don't like being told that they're sinners who need salvation. They don't like being told they deserve to go to hell, that God's just and good and righteous judgment is to condemn them and that the only way they can be saved is through Jesus. As you proclaim that message to people, at the university, in your workplaces, for the rest of your lives, to your family who don't know Him, there is going to be lots of hard times and conflict. That's the life of following Jesus. But remember, the cost here and now is worth it in the end. Because great is your reward in heaven when you come into the kingdom, when you get to be with God for eternity. Everything you have to give up now for that, it doesn't even compare. It's worth it in the end. But of course, the flip side. The flip side is you can choose to have your comfort now, right? You can compromise on what you believe. You can settle in for a life of comfortable Christianity and decide just not to make those costly decisions for the sake of Jesus. And, and essentially, essentially, you can end up living lives that look no different from everyone else in the world, except maybe you baptize your kids and you go to church on Sunday. But your life isn't really about following Jesus at that point, is it? You're not really living for the kingdom at that stage. It's really about trying to milk the most out of this world and what it has to have to offer. It's living for the here. For the, for the now, not the future, not what is waiting for us then. And look, I want to level with you. That'll probably actually be pretty good. Most of us live in Australia or we come from countries where it's pretty wealthy. Most of us have wealthy parents and look, I think you'll think that's pretty good. But in the end, remember, Jesus says that road leads to woe, doesn't he? And to judgment. Because we're waiting for us at the end of that road is condemnation. Because it shows our heart, it shows our eyes are, are not really focused on the future, on the kingdom. They're focused on the here and now when they should be focused on them. Maybe a helpful way to think about this is like the marshmallow test. You guys heard of this test, right? In, in the 60s, there was a psychologist from Stanford. He, Stanford. he conducted this experiment with a bunch of children where they, they put one single marshmallow in front of a child, right? One single marshmallow and said, if you can wait 15 minutes, you'll get two and you can have them both. You can eat that single one now if you want, but if you wait 15 minutes, you'll get to eat two. And essentially, that's an exercise in delayed gratification, right? Can the child wait for something better, give up something now for something better, knowing that in the end, that's going to be better? <laughs> that's kind of what Jesus is saying the Christian life is like in Luke chapter 6. 
a genuine follower of Jesus is someone who can give up on the things of this world here and now, on comfort and security and being well-liked and popularity and all of those things. They can give up on that for the sake of Jesus and the King. They can let go of pursuing momentary and earthly fleeting pleasures, knowing that what God has in store for them in heaven is far greater. Blessed are those people with future-focused eyes, Jesus says. Great is their reward in heaven. That's the first thing Jesus says should characterise a true disciple a genuine Christian, eyes that are focused on the future, on the kingdom, not the here, not the now, but the then. Which really helps us understand the second feature Jesus talks about in this passage. For anyone who wants to be his disciple and follow after him. In the next section, right after that bit we just read, Jesus says, if we're going to live with our eyes focused on the future, But here in this world still, we're actually going to need big, sacrificial, humble hearts. That's what we need. Humble hearts should characterize the follower of Jesus. Look there in verse 27. Jesus goes on, But to you who are listening, in other words, you disciples, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful then just as your father is merciful. And you see his way of thinking here. Jesus says, if we're going to live in this world with our eyes focused on the future, on the kingdom, life is going to be really hard here, incredibly difficult. There'll be conflict and persecution because of everything we've talked about, because Christians will be different in the way they live, what they believe, and because of the message they proclaim about him. But how are we to respond in the midst of that persecution? How are we to respond when people hate us and malign us as Christians? Well, not with violence, not with hatred, but with love and kindness. Be generous to those who take from you, Jesus says. Pray for those who hurt you. Bless those who curse you. Make make sure, he says, you do good to them. And again, how countercultural is that? Our world says, look after those who look after you, right? If someone, if someone hits you, you hit them back. If someone takes from you, you make sure you get justice, right? If someone attacks you, you make them pay. In, 
If someone scratches your back, yeah, of course, you should scratch their back. But if you expect me to give you with nothing in return, you are dreaming. What's in it for me is our world's way of thinking about things, isn't it? But Jesus says for those who truly want to be his followers, that is simply not good enough. Your love is to go beyond that of the world. You've got a love from the heart, not, not just those who like you, but your enemies. Or again, down in verse 37 there, he's looked there, he says, don't judge and don't condemn. Instead, forgive. Again, he's not saying here that you can't tell people that they're wrong or call them to repent. What Jesus is warning us against here is the overly critical spirit where you think you're better than everyone else, right? And we forget that we're just as guilty of sin. We're just as tempted to sin too. Well, look there in verse 41. Jesus says that kind of attitude there is proud and hypocritical. It's like trying to remove a speck of sawdust from someone's eye when you've got this massive plank of wood hanging out of yours. You see what Jesus is trying to get at here? He's getting at what's going on within our hearts. When we look at the world around us, when we look at those who hate us and persecute us and insult us because of Jesus, what are you to do? Well, be humble and forgiving and love them from your heart. That's what true disciples of Jesus are to be like. That's the kind of heart Jesus says should characterize them. Look at how he puts it there in verse 43. He says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks, but the heart is full of. That's a pretty plain and simple analogy, right? Uh, if you've got, if you got a fruit tree in your backyard, this will make total sense to you, won't it? An orange tree produces oranges. That's not rocket science. A fig tree produces figs. A follower of Jesus will produce sacrificial love for those around them. In the face of opposition, their natural fruit will be to do good, to forgive. Because those people have had their heart transformed by God. Their heart has been captivated by His love. They, what they know is that God has been merciful to them. That in spite of their sin, He has forgiven. They know that whilst we were God's enemies, enemies, Jesus died for us. And if that's how our God loves His enemies well then surely his disciples should show this kind of love to their enemies too. Now I want to say just as a little side point here, this, act, this analogy is actually really helpful for us here because what it shows us is that living this way is not about trying to earn your place in heaven. Think about it, right? You can't just take an, an orange and tape it to an apple tree, can you? and think that all of a sudden that apple tree has become an orange tree just because you've taped some external fruit to it. The type of tree it is comes from within. 
That's the same for us as Christians. Loving people from your heart, doing good to those who hate you, forgiving, right, not judging and condemning, that doesn't earn your place in heaven. That doesn't change who you are on the inside. It flows from who God has already made you. It flows from the fact that He has made you one of His. Loving people from the heart flows from the fact that God has loved us in Jesus. We love people, even our enemies, from humble and sacrificial hearts because that's how God chose to love and treat us. And I think I want to be kind of real with you guys and say, this is going to be your challenge. It, It wasn't my parents' generation. It wasn't really my generation. This is going to be your challenge. For the rest of your lives and however long you're here at uni, more than it ever has been in this country, will it be hard to be a Christian. Hard is just a poor, it's going to be really, really hard to be a Christian. Because society used to think that Christians were just harmless weirdos. Now, the weirdos part is fair enough, right? You can understand that. But the sentiment is changing. The heat is being turned up in the kitchen. No longer are Christians just harmless widows. Widows. Now we're starting to be called things like bigots. And our ideas are hateful. What we talk about is narrow-minded. We attack people with our words, right? That's how Christianity is starting to be seen in our society. So for you guys... Hear me when I say being a Christian in the coming years is going to lead you into more and more conflict and confrontation in the media, in your classroom, even in your families and amongst your friends. I know of one guy from our church who lost his job because he's a Christian. I know of another guy from church whose family has basically disowned him because of the decisions he's made to follow Jesus. This is not, this is not happening somewhere else. It's happening here amongst us. It's starting already. And so, whilst we need to be strong on the truth, on the message, firm in the gospel and what Jesus teaches, this passage is really helpful for us because it reminds us that in our actions, how we treat those who are against us, that needs to come from a place of genuine, sacrificial love from your heart. Future-focused eyes and sacrificial, humble hearts. That's what Jesus says should characterize his disciples. That's how he calls all who says, say, I want to follow after him to be. Which brings us to the third feature, just the last feature that Jesus says a true disciple of his should have. And it's probably the most important. It's actually these two things, right? These two little things here on the side of your head. Attentive and obedient ears, Jesus' followers will need, so that they don't just listen to the words that he says, but then they put them into practice. They need attentive and obedient ears so they can hear and do what Jesus says. Look there in verse 46. Jesus finishes this passage by saying, 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they are like. They're like a man who builds a house, who dug down deep and laid their foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And the moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Now, growing up, I always had issues with my ears. Apparently, it's a common problem amongst men. My mum first pointed it out to me. Katie has confirmed her suspicions that it's actually true. You can say something to me, I'll hear the words, but for some weird reason, I, it doesn't really affect me. I could even probably repeat, this is the most infuriating thing ever, right? I could even probably repeat back what you've said to me, word for word sometimes, but still have no idea what it is you actually said. The words themselves can register, but I don't take them on board. They don't lead me to change because I don't respond by doing what they said. And look, that gets me into trouble, I guess, with other people. But if we're like that with Jesus, he says the result will be disastrous. It's like a house with no foundation. It's not going to last, it won't stand, it'll all come crashing down when it's put to the test in the end. But true disciples of Jesus will listen and act on the words that he says. And those people are like a house with a firm foundation. Whatever comes against them, it will not knock them down. They'll stand firm until the end. See, for true and genuine followers of Jesus, it's not enough to simply hear what Jesus says, maybe come to church on Sunday, nod along with what he says. You have to let it shape you. You have to let Jesus' words shape your life. You have to do what he says. And my biggest fear for you guys who claim to follow Jesus in this room, the the thing that keeps me up most as a pastor at night is knowing that by the time you have finished uni, some of you in this room will have walked away from Jesus. Some of you in this room will have heard the words that Jesus has said, but you won't let them change you. You won't go away and put them into practice. Because, well, part of you doesn't want to live for the kingdom. Because that's just too hard, right? That's just too costly. And you don't want to follow Jesus and have the world hate you because it's just, it's just too stressful. It's too much to bear. The comfort of the here and now means more to you than the promise of the kingdom, of the future. And I know it won't be all of you. I see you guys going hard. I see so many of you who go away and do what Jesus says and let his word shape you all the time. But sadly, even though I pray it won't be so, I know for some of you, this is the truth. You will walk away from Jesus in your time here at Because deep down, you don't want to do what he says. 
You want to know? I know it because I've seen it. I've seen it year after year after year. I know the names of the people who have come before, who have sat in the chairs where you have sat, who are just like you. I can still see their faces, right? I know their story. I could tell you about how I read the Bible for a year with one guy, but he's not around anymore. I could tell you about one girl who was so committed to Jesus, man. She was so committed to Jesus. She led Bible study and kids ministry. She was so involved. And then she was, well, she was feeling lonely, so she met a guy who wasn't a Christian. She started dating a boy who didn't know Jesus. And in the end, she chose him, a boyfriend, over the kingdom and the king. And usually it is not something big that leads people away from Jesus. It's the little things, the slow, persistent grind, the little decisions, one by one, not to obey Jesus, just to compromise a little bit on following Jesus, on doing what he says, that pile up over time and lead you down a path away from Jesus. Nothing breaks my heart more in ministry than this. in knowing what so many of you right now and here tonight will forfeit because you, you don't listen to the words of Jesus, because you don't want to do what he says. That is the biggest danger for you whilst you're here at uni. You'll come away with a degree, a career path, maybe even a husband or a wife, right? But you'll have walked away from Jesus. And forfeited the kingdom like fools. You'll have thrown away something incredibly precious for a degree, a job, a relationship. So here's what I want to leave you with tonight. This is a crossroads, this moment in your life. You might not see it yet. You might not recognize it yet, but it's a crossroads. The next few years for you at uni are most likely going to determine the rest of your life. Will you be a disciple of Jesus or will you just fall away? Will this be the time where you listen to Jesus? Will this be the time where you start doing what he says? Or will you listen to your heart or the world? This is why you need to hook into things like church on a Sunday and things like newish group. You need to do as much as you can in your time here at uni to strengthen your walk with Jesus. Take every opportunity you have to grow in your knowledge and your love of Him because this is the time to decide to truly follow after Jesus with eyes focused on the future, hearts humble and overflowing with love and ears that are attentive and obedient that help you stand firm in Jesus till the end. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus that as we've seen over the past four or five weeks here in Luke's Gospel that he is your son, that he is the king, that he is our saviour who died for our sins and rose again. 
Father, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins we have in his name. We thank you that by his blood poured out for us, we have this sure and certain steadfast hope of heaven, of one day being brought by you into your kingdom face to face. Father, we pray that you would help us to trust him. Help us to follow him now, to be his disciples, to be Luke chapter 6 kind of disciples. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to focus on the future, that hold loosely to the things of this world and pursue Jesus and his kingdom. Father, we pray that you would give us hearts that seek to love our enemies, that we would do good to those who persecute us, knowing this is how you've treated us when we were your enemies. In that same way, Father, please help us to love them. Father, please give us ears that are attentive and obedient, that not only hear your words, but then put that into practice. Help us to base our lives around you and your word, Jesus, to let them change us and shape us so that we might stand firm in the end. And Father, we know that in our own strength we can't do this. But we know that you're good and you hear our prayers. And so we throw ourselves upon your mercy. Please, Father, be our strength. Help us to be true disciples. For the sake of Jesus' glory and his honour we pray. Amen.